Hey, you damn guys. Welcome to Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Book Club Member Comics. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Wes. Hey, Hi, Wes. Wes, Wes is back. This awesome. Is Thank you, Wes, for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for getting me out of that cupboard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> got you out of there. Got, to, got some fresh air. Is You're that like, where he was? Is that where he... That's where he was. <laughs> I forgot where I put him. That's why you couldn't find him. You thought yeah, he was in the drawer, but I he was really in the I couldn't find him. He was in the cupboard. He was in the cupboard. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you again. How's your little matchbox bed? Really good. good. Really good. Awesome. I appreciate it. Good. I still haven't yeah. any of those teas yet, though. I'm waiting. I wanted uh, to send them, but every time I tried to send them, John was like, I got to find the address. So I don't know what? where the address is. <laughs> don't yes, blame it on me. That's exactly what happened. I was like, give me that address. And you were okay. like, I got to find it. Okay. I'll, I'll give you the address today. You said that, though. <laughs> okay. Before. All right. Here we go. For real, I'm going to do it this okay. time. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I already have. All right. Okay. Good. No, you didn't. All right. <laughs> this is our book club podcast. We're not talking about addresses. We're reading comics and we're talking to our friends. Or this week we're actually doing book clubs. We're reading some books and talking to our friends. And now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. No, I won't. No, yes, I won't. you will. No, I won't. You will. <laughs> <laughs> no, our guest is going to tell us all about it. Oh. Me? Yeah, Wes. You're going to do it. I'm the you one. do it. Wes, you have to do it. All right. If you don't know what this is, get out of here. No, no, no. <laughs> exactly what this is that we do. We we read a book. We tell you what we're going to read, and then we read it on the cast, and then we tell you what we think about it. And then you guys listen, and you think some more, and you write in with a, hey, you damn guys, and you say, hey, this is what I was thinking. And, we, and you blow our minds. We're like, what? You're totally right. That's totally accurate. It fits perfectly with the thing that we're reading. And then we talk about what you talked about, and then that's a hey, you damn guys, and that's uh, all the things, and it's friendship, and it's a book club. Yeah, that's right. It yeah, is. It's awesome. And a book club. You did an amazing job, Wes. Great Thank job, you so Wes. much. Yeah, my job here is done. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got some shouts outs this week. Shouts out. Yeah. Uh, I want to shout out Ross Radke. Ross Radke. Book club member right. and amazing artist. It was also his birthday recently. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday, birthday boy. Also. Happy birthday boy. Shouts outs. Uh, so y'all, everybody knows that Ross just did that Kickstarter recently uh, for the fourth issue of Stomped. And um, I got to get one of the, I was one of the first 20 backers. So I got like a, like one of the art cards and um, I got him to draw my dog, Jake. And Aww. it looks Fucking fantastic! It really, yeah, really good. It looks awesome. Oh my god, Ross did an amazing, amazing job. job. I've shown it to Kathy, then my mom, and then you guys. It's some really people at work. <laughs> Very well painted. Yeah. Is it paint or markers? I or? think it's markers. Really, really well yeah. done, though. Yeah. Um, Stunning. You know, um, we can uh, post a picture of it on our socials, but yeah. uh, but if you want to see it now, just go run over to Ross's socials. He's got it up there. <laughs> I'm very impressed. Yeah, and while you're at it, uh, commission some art from Ross or buy some sketch cards. I don't know if he's making them right now. Um, he right. might be in the middle of a project. But I've been soon- trying to tell people <clears throat> yeah. to get in while they can. You know, I this have. Guy's um, gonna blow up. I have a sketch that I. Uh, I have a sketch forthcoming from the Kickstarter because I, I also commissioned a sketch, but. Uh, I don't want to say what it is yet. I'm going to wait and then just see how it turns out. Anyway, that's awesome. exciting stuff. Yeah. So, thank you, Ross. Yes, thank you, Ross. You, when I when I was looking through your uh, Twitter the other day and I saw it pop up, I was just like, "Holy shit! Holy shit!" Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Um, I also wanted to shout out. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying her name right. Rachel Aragnu. 
Rachel Aragnu. Book club member. And also awesome artist. Uh, if you're checking out the Leonade the Vampire, I don't know how, if I'm saying it right. Leonide the Vampire, Leonid the Vampire. Have you read that, Wes? I have. Yeah, I read the first issue. Yeah, yeah that's really good stuff. And uh, so her art uh, recently went up on Cadence, comic art. Oh, uh, nice. So you can buy her original art. You can buy sketches and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. All right. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Listener, feedback. Yes, great job, guys. That was like a barbershop quartet. There's three of us. <laughs> a barbershop trio. There you go. Get out, trades and floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along in time. Get out, we heard from Drew Campbell. Drew Campbell. Book club member. That's right. That's right. We've been talking about all the Groundhog's Day like episodes where there's like repeating plots. Um, The time loop thing. Drew said, correct me if I'm wrong, but in regard regard to Groundhog's Day movies, shows, I don't think you guys mentioned the time loop episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the final season. I didn't see it. I love that episode. Uh, It's a really good episode. It was the directorial debut of Elizabeth Henstridge, who plays Gemma Simmons on the show. Oh, wow. Um, And I do remember that episode. That is a really good episode. And I think I forgot about it because I've only seen it once. I had to tap out of that show. So That show is amazing. And the seventh (laughs) season is good. And that episode is really good. It's worth checking out just for that one episode. All right. I gotta um, get caught up on that. Yeah, show. it's really good. So yeah, <laughs> thank you, it. Drew, for reminding me of my love for Agents of Shield. <laughs> Can't believe I forgot that. We've also been talking about gatekeeping quite a bit. On that's uh, come up right. on the podcast a little bit. We also heard from Ross Radke. Ross Radke, book club member. Yeah. Uh, in regards to gatekeeping, and birthday boy. Yeah, and talented, wonderful artist. Yeah, dog artist. <laughs> Ross says gatekeeping is so dumb, and most people have boring tastes to begin with. It's. <laughs> That's true. It's always like, cool, you heard of this band when they released their first album because they were local? There were literally no way the rest of us could have discovered them before they started breaking out. Or, like, you think I should have been born a decade earlier to dig this? If you want to be that weird and esoteric, at least listen to something like Secret Chiefs 3 or The Locust. I've seen The Locust live. Yeah, so have I. Yeah. Very good. But people who actually do listen to that sort of thing are probably delighted to discover someone else has the same weird yeah, taste. Absolutely. That's the thing is yes. that if I'm talking with someone about music and something comes up, where I'm like, oh, have you have you heard Quasi? And they'll go, no. And I'm like, okay. And I'll be like, here are some songs yeah, you should yeah. listen to. Here's an album you should get into, whatever. Like my first reaction is to be like, how can I get this person into what's the, what are the songs I think that they would like or want to listen to? You know what I mean? My first reaction isn't like, it's only for me. That's so weird. It's a strange reaction to have. Very maladaptive behavior. I don't know if I'm. Yeah, no, I mean, I I remember one time someone was like, I used to like that band before everybody did. And I'm like, who the fuck cares? (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you glad that they're blowing up and everybody's that loving would, them exactly. now exactly that would be the thing it's like oh, i remember when it was just me and now it's all these people it's so awesome to have friends to hang yeah, out with yeah. at a show you know like we you know it was really cool to see so many people at the quasi show yeah that yeah. was awesome we i was really that. happy about yeah. that so anyway what about you wes do you have a weird gatekeeping story where somebody got mad at you for liking something <laughs> i mean yeah uh, yeah absolutely 100 i was really into star wars in high school and then like when I entered the Star Wars fandom, I got railroaded by people who knew better than me. That's such a little baby what? mainstream wow. thing to have a tantrum <laughs> about, too. Like, that's not even an obscure thing. 
That's so weird. Yeah, I don't know. Avenged Sevenfold. I remember watching them before they became crazy big and people. I don't yeah. know what that is. Is it a band? Yeah, they're a yeah, band. They're a band. Okay. And so did you get mad at people when they wore the <laughs> shirt and you said, I knew them first? No, no, I didn't do that. I don't I don't really get mad at people. I had a OK. I had a BPRD shirt on the other day. Oh, yeah. And the guy was like, he look, he was looking at me. He was like. I know that from somewhere. I was like, yeah, it's like a Hellboy thing. It's like BPRD. He goes, oh, Hellboy. Yeah, I saw that movie. I'm like, yeah, it's comic books. And he's like, yeah, I should read that. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I was kind of telling him about like some of my favorite stories or whatever. And I'm like, I hope that guy went and got yeah. some Hellboy comic yes. books. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it wasn't like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't know what right, this is. Right. Like, wh- who does that help? Like, what is that doing in the world? What right. What good is that doing? That's so weird. Well, it yeah. makes it makes me super cautious anytime I talk to people about things that I like. Exactly that. Exactly oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It, makes it does, feel weird and, that, about and it. that sucks because you feel like you can't like enjoy stuff no. or you can't tell people that you like things. I barely tell anybody that I like anything ever. Yeah. <laughs> anymore, <laughs> we'll say stuff on the show, and John will be like, "Oh yeah," and Danielle was watching such and such the other day. I'm like, "No, don't say that." Yeah, I just and don't want to. He has to edit it out. Cut it out. Yeah. I have. <laughs> like, I have a whole blooper episode of just all the things that Danielle doesn't want you to know about her. Exactly that. Because, yeah, exactly. Well, people suck, man. People are fucking assholes. I don't want people knowing about me. Yeah. All right. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Hayden Orr. Hayden Orr. Book Club member. We were talking about... Um, Lamborghinis. We were yes, talking about the new Batmobile in our last episode. And, right. it, and they were saying that Gray Fogel uh, based it off the Lamborghini Countach. Yes. Okay. Hayden Orr says, the Countach is also the style of Lambo that appears in the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia Christmas special. And Danny DeVito, as we all know, played the Penguin in Batman Returns. Connections. Connections everywhere. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So it ties those two things together. That's awesome. Very good. We also heard from Callie Kaysen. Callie Kaysen. Book club member. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Callie asked, is the god being summoned Mahakala the same one being summoned in Temple of Doom? I'm going to throw that over to you, Aubrey. I don't know that. Do you know that? Aubrey, what? Uh, talking about no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's got to be. Probably. That was awesome, Wes. It's, it's Kali. In, uh, oh, okay. It's uh, Mahakali, maybe. Maybe... Uh, I shouldn't speak of things. Okay, look, I don't you know, know I, you know, I, you know, I do love the Indiana Jones movies, but the Temple of Doom is is kind of <laughs> mm, problematic. Yeah, yeah, it is that. It is that in a lot of places for sure. But yeah, I want to say it was a. Uh, oh, okay. So I just looked it up. It's the Google goddess it. Kali. Yeah, the Googs. Yeah. So close. I mean, and uh, is Kali is Kali the same as Maha Kali? Or that's, no, that's, that's a that's a different form. Okay. Okay. Of Kali, I mean, yeah, I'm ignorant on this stuff, so I, I hate to kind of speak on this, but I don't it's like think the it's over form. Yeah, I don't think it's the same thing. That's a great question, though. If you're going to get into a goddess, that's that's a dope one to get into, though. And it was a great opportunity to hear Wes's impression of the Temple of the yeah. guy, yeah, <laughs> of the guy as he pulls a heart from people's chests. Yeah, <laughs> shit. I remember seeing that movie when I was like nine or ten years old in the theater, and I was freaking out yeah, <laughs> my sister and i we were like let's oh you saw that in the theater oh yeah we we're like let's let's just watch the wall behind oh, us no it's not, not people's hearts aren't getting ripped out of their right. chest wow yeah drinking blood and all kinds of fucked up shit Faces going on in that movie. no that's in uh, raiders have, oh, I, okay. have i told my i don't know if i've told this on the podcast i probably have my uh exorcist story tell it Okay, I'm like 15, uh-huh. and they're re-releasing Exorcist in the theaters. This is a movie I have never seen. Oh, that's when they added like the additional footage, right, or whatever. Yeah, is I don't, that when I, they I, did that? 
I'd was never like in the seen 90s it. or the 2000s. I'd never seen yeah. it. I'd never seen it. And me and a friend were like, oh, we should go see this because it's apparently like a big deal. And people were like, oh, it's the scariest horror movie. And we were like, sure, whatever. It was made in the 70s. How scary could it be? That's my mom was like, this is you're going to hate this. I was like, oh, it'll be fine. She's like, no, this movie is really going to freak you out. And we were both like, Psh, whatever. So we go in there. It was horrifying. And so I, we both left out of there like, holy fucking shit, you should have warned us. And she was like, I did. I tried. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, but it was really, I was like, I can't believe this movie was made in the 70s. That yeah. was, I remember being impressed with how horrific it was. Uh, I I've talked about this on the podcast before because there was a reference to it in the Weird Tales. But when they show that human face of Pazuzu and it just like flashes yeah, in the darkness. Yeah, it was good. That fuck me up yeah and i think like that was when i watched it like in my 20s fucks or something, you up you know man I mean? yeah we, i mean that's something <laughs> we're like, teenagers we're me, like you know? so yeah, fucking over everything yeah. we're nothing could get to us we're so like well whatever yeah. Ugh. man that got to us for sure that's yeah. a good story i wonder if other people have similar stories of a movie that they were like ah this we were so ready be to be completely whatever, unimpressed with it then, and yeah. we were like okay yeah. we're impressed yeah. yeah by the time i saw the exorcist i uh, was in my 20s and um Everybody had been talking about it since I was like exactly. a little kid about how scary it was. Hyping it up. And so I saw it on v on VHS at home and I watched it and I was just like, this is the movie everybody's scared about. <laughs> oh, you are not impressed by it. Oh, okay. I was not. <laughs> I guess it was I just mean, maybe because it was in the theater or something. It's like a different right, experience. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I, mean, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I really should have seen it in the theater. But I mean, it, I will say it's, you know, well, shot, know what directed it was. and all this kind of stuff. But. But it didn't scare me. Ah, it really was. Yeah, it was like it was a well-made movie, which I think we were not expecting because all, all, most of the horror movies we'd seen were just like whatever Slasher nightmare on Elm Street and whatever horrible, it was. Yeah. 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 And so I, we kind of started getting into like, oh, like horror can be good cinema. Like, this is cool. Like, we started getting into yeah. all that. And okay. that's kind of that was kind of interesting. But I, it, it might have been just the atmosphere. Like everybody in there was like, oh, you know, yeah, like or yeah. whatever. It might have been that. I don't know. Yeah. So. I don't know. I don't have an excuse. I thought it was scary. I get scared easily, <laughs> though. I'm a scaredy cat, so it's Aww. fine. But I like watching horror movies. You really but do. The, but, it's then so I, weird. but then I get scared when I'm watching them. <laughs> so I usually watch them like during the daytime. You're the one who like... always tell me, okay, you should close your eyes right now. Or yeah. Whatever. But then I you'll will. still tell me what's going on, <laughs> I will. which defeats the purpose of it. <laughs> Horrible. Great stuff. Thank you, everybody, for the listener feedback. The feedback. The feedback. And now we can go on to our next segment. What do you see? What do you say? Yeah. What so, do you think about this new Hellboy movie? Yes, yeah, so I thought that this would, be a, this would be a great thing to talk about. Um, By the way, we do the Hellboy Book Club podcast. If you want a Hellboy Book Club podcast, you should go over to the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Back to you, John. <laughs> what do you think of the new Hellboy movie? That's yeah. by Apparently, Mike Mignola is going to be heavily involved in the writing Golden. and Christopher Golden. Yes, and we're going to be talking about Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden on this episode yes. because they did the Baltimore book together, in which we, we're discussing every month with Wes. If they're going to um, write it, doesn't that automatically mean like, oh, Okay. Right, well, okay. Or... So I have a lot of feelings. Okay, wasn't, tell us your feelings. Have, wasn't Mignola heavily involved with the other three movies? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that he wrote the screenplay. No, he didn't write the screenplay, but so he like I, I don't know. Consulted yeah, but he. I don't know. Like consulted. I'm, I'm scared to get, I'm scared to get excited. But I'm excited. yes. I, yeah. I, I do. I, I do feel that I feel a lot of the same feelings that Wes is feeling because okay. I feel like, and I feel like a lot of Hellboy fans are kind of like trepidation oh god i don't know if i want to get excited about, about this, this or not i've been burned before to me yeah. um to me it reminds me of the when homer goes to the monkey's paw guy or whatever oh yes because <laughs> they're like they're like oh there's gonna be a new hellboy movie and i'm like that's good and they're like oh it's being directed by the guy 
who that did, did crank who did crank and gamer oh, that's bad and ghostwriter spirit of vengeance oh, no. brian taylor and i'm like <laughs> "Ooh, that's bad yeah and then they're like but mike mignola and christopher golden are writing the screenplay and i'm that's like good. Oh, that's that's good. good and they're like it's being made by millennium films oh and I'm like, that's bad that's bad and then they're like Oh no! But they're only focusing on a short story, and they're that's, not going to try to do all this stuff. That's and I'm good. Like, that's that good. I love to hear. Good. Yeah, you know? I like yeah. to hear that. That's good. And then they're like, "But there's going to be a rookie BPRD agent," and I'm like, "That's bad." Can I go now? And so it's just like every time I just I keep waving. Wait, like a rookie beer, but like a like an audience vehicle. Well, see, made I, up guy. Well, this I is what I'm not. saying. Hell here's no, I hate here's, that. Here's one way that they could make it cool. Literally make it any agent from the comic. Any agent from the comic. It doesn't even matter if it's if it's an agent that would be alive in the fifties, or if it's an agent that knew Hellboy when he was little or when he was older. It doesn't matter. Just literally make it any agent. When from are the they going to learn that we don't like brand new audience vehicle character we've never seen before in the movie? They'll Nobody never... likes that. Nobody, in any the Mortal movie. Kombat movie did that, and that was the only thing I didn't like about it. <laughs> Same. Same. The only thing I did not like about that so, movie. So, and 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 of course, I'm making a lot of presumptions. I mean, no, you. So, I think you're dead on so, with all of your so, analysis you know, here. I agree with that. So, it's not right for me to bash Brian Taylor because I really haven't seen a lot of his movies, and it's he not did bashing it. it to say that you don't particularly. It's not your, if it's not your thing. But he did an interview with Collider, and he said. Um, that he loves the character, he loves the run, um, he loves okay. everything that Del Toro did, but they're trying mm-hmm. to do a folk, creepy uh, horror movie. Um, it's going to be a younger Hellboy, because it's it's in the 50s, and he's doing a paranormal investigation. You know what I mean? And that's kind of, I think that that sounds cool, and he's like saying... Um, Could they just get a good director? That he, like? He's saying that uh, Christopher Golden and Mike Mignola are writing the screenplay, and that he's actually trying to make it even more like the comic than they have in their screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, so he okay. wants to use elements from the Crooked Man, you know, that's the story that they're adapting, so... Okay. Obviously, we're going to have Hellboy in there, a younger Hellboy. We're going to have uh, Tom Farrell. He's going to be one of the characters because he's one of the main characters of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cora uh, uh, is, is also a, a, a character in that story. But they said that she's not the third lead. The third lead, I think, is where I heard this, that it's going to be a rookie BPRD agent that help, that Hellboy has to go help or something oh, like that. I hope it's just that they haven't revealed the identity. Yeah. And it's like they want that to be a surprise instead of. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. A, we just made this guy up. Agent I Myers, fucking hate that or whatever. Shit. Anyway, fucking Myers. <laughs> but um, but everything that Brian Taylor said in his interview sounds really promising. Okay. And I mean, the fact that Mignola and Christopher Golden are doing the screenplay sounds amazing. Yeah. You know, I I think a younger Hellboy is a kind of a cool. Who idea, are you casting? You know who's I mean? who's Hellboy? So I I don't know. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot. A lot of people have been weighing in online. Who's Hellboy? I I, I don't think. I don't think he's a young Hellboy, but I think he would be a good Hellboy. Uh, a lot of people have said Winston Duke. Ooh. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, he was in Baku in the Black Panther movie. Yeah. And I love Winston Duke. He's kind of like. He's uh, great. He's a, he's a big, broad guy. He could do it, though. He's young. Yeah. He's got a great he's voice. Yeah. And I could I could definitely see him in the prosthetics. Ooh, like man. Like having a good Hellboy I want face. this to happen now. You know yeah. what I mean? So, That's great casting. Um, but, like, can Brian Taylor in Millennium Films get somebody who is that He's good? a big name you now. Know, he's a big name now. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, I don't he know. He would want to do it, though. I think he but would. But I think also, like. He seems like a great guy in all his I, I, interviews. But I think also, like, get a nobody. Get someone. Oh, sure. Get yeah. someone that nobody knows or nobody can put any shit on. Oh, you're going to get the guy from this. Just get someone. Well, you I know, wonder. Just and get, this, like, is not like an, a, this is not anything against Winston Duke at all. But I wonder. Maybe this would be just another way for him to. Another vehicle for him to kind of 
try to be a leading, more leading yeah. person. Yeah, get or like a leading action role, star exactly. For I sure. mean, before Ron Perlman, they were going to fucking, they were looking at Vin Diesel. Ugh. So you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no. it's, it's that kind of shit that I get kind of oh, worried about. Gross. You know what I mean? Because it's like, are they, tr- are they going to try to make it like a folk horror creepy? Or are they going to be like, let's make this badass. So that's, that's kind of what happened with oh, the last movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then also oh. like, with the last movie. Winston Duke can be very, so, like thoughtful though, I think he would give a great performance. Like I think that would have some depth. I, I, too. I think it would be amazing. But I can't it, get but, my mind off this now that you've said it. <laughs> but like w- with the last movie, they were like, "Oh, it's going to be David Harbour, and it's directed by Neil Marshall." And Neil Marshall, all his movies have been awesome. Yes, true. But like, what happened is we learned that he that it was taken away from him. It was and made people, by a committee. The the script was being rewritten on the Horrible. day, mm-hmm. and then they chopped up the movie and kind of took it from him. And well, so that's like, how you fuck up a movie. How do yeah. we know that that's not going to happen again? You See, know that, what that, I mean? So that, it's kind of like. Maybe they learn their lesson. That's, so, actually, that's actually what I'm worried about because, like, you know, they could be talking about like all this great stuff, but then the producers come right. in and fuck it up again. Right. So, I mean, it's the same people that made the last one, right? Millennium uh, Films, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I, 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 but the other thing is, like, they're saying this thing is going to start shooting in April. What? So we're going to get casting news, like, really. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time this show goes up, we oh, know something. Okay. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, in the next couple weeks, we're huh. going to know a lot more about this movie and who's going to be in it and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, but but what, when it all comes down to it, uh, when this movie comes out, whatever it is, whoever's in it. I know you're going to see it. I'm going to be there in the theater. I'm going to, I'm going to pay the money yeah. and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to sit there and yeah. I'm going to, and, and I'm going to take it in no matter what it is. And so, you know, like, Same. um, yeah. I, so they already have my ticket. Money. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Uh, g- g- and, and if it's great, I'll go see it um, again and again and again. You know what I mean? So. Um, it really doesn't matter to me. I'm going to go see it anyway. I'm going to support it anyway. I hope that they do a great job. You know what I mean? Like I'm putting a, but I don't want to put all my eggs in this basket and go, oh, it's going to be fucking awesome because that's what happened last time. Right. You know what yeah, I, mean? I mean? And then like, yeah. it did look so promising. Well, and I mean, yeah. even this art of Hellboy book, like to it. Yeah. I got the art of Hellboy book for the 2019 movie and there's amazing stuff in there. Yeah. If you went in there and you looked at the script and you looked at the art and you looked David at the Harper, actors, Mijovich. you would be like, oh my yeah. God, this movie's going to be fucking Daniel incredible. Take him. And then, you know, perfect casting, all this stuff happened apparently. So I don't know. I mean, I'm still going to go see it. I'm yeah. still going to support it, right. but I, I I am a little scared, like Wes said. I do feel trepidatious about oh. getting yeah. excited about it, but like I'm going to, you know, promote it and I'll be of sharing course, it course. and I'll be, you know, and I'll be fucking telling haters to back off because like <laughs> already already I have already seen the comments on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook of people going, "Oh, why don't they just let Guillermo make Hellboy 3?" Fucking Ron Perlman's 80 years old. Relax about S- it. Selma Blair Leave it alone. has MS. Yeah. Let these just people. They're, let they're, them live their lives. Let them live their lives. They're, they're not yes. going to come back and do they're this not movie. Doing it, man. Shut up about it. Shut I'm up so about tired it. of hearing people go, oh, well, dude, Ron Perlman should be hell. It's like, no. shut up already. Shut up. It was good. I like He those did a movies. great job. Yeah. Go yeah. back and listen to all the episodes where we talked about He did those a movies. great job. But it's like, so, it's not that anymore. It's not that you got to fucking. Nobody, let it go. Nobody goes, oh, Michael Keaton. Who's this Christian Bale? Who's Robert Pattinson? It should be Michael Keaton. Well, now like, when Michael Keaton I mean? was Batman, people wrote actual letters trying to say this yeah. guy sucks. We don't want him as Batman. Yeah. I know, so, but they, but when he did a good job, they didn't bash every subsequent Batman. No, my point is that people are fucking stupid. Anyway, and just, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm gonna support it and love it. I mean, I like it. At some point, I'm like, 
any press is good press for Hellboy. And absolutely, like, I don't want to be an asshole gatekeeper of Hellboy. Like, I want to see more sure. people like Hellboy. I want to see that shit happen. So, like, I don't know. I'm hopeful that will happen. But yeah, yeah. most of the people that we've talked to have been like, "Oh, I heard about Hellboy through the movie, and then that's how I got started reading comics." Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So that's exactly what you said. You know, more more light shed on Hellboy, more eyes on Hellboy. That's good. More publicity, more press for Hellboy. All press is good press. Maybe yeah. I'm probably going to love it no matter what. Okay. Maybe hopefully they have learned their mistakes from the last movie. In the last movie, they tried to cram in all so these much. different stuff, yeah. and it just was. There are parts of that movie that I really enjoy. Yeah, me too. I couldn't even. Absolutely. But it's just like it doesn't fit together very well. Yeah. No, I tried to like I tried to explain everything. I couldn't even put <laughs> things in context. Like right. I went with my wife, and I couldn't even like I couldn't even put everything in context. It was thirty <laughs> years worth of. Yeah, mm-hmm. they tried to cram. And too she much, was like, they? "And the girl who throws up a gross boogledy, boogity ghost, <laughs> like it's a like it's a vomit booger ghost." And yeah. you're like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that <laughs> I is." I don't know what happened there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah. Daniel Day Kim though, oh, but, they but, really got him, and it was perfect. And I don't understand. What yeah, happened. but I, I think Wes brings up a good point: is that like, this is the fourth Hellboy movie, like. Yeah. That's nuts, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, good on them. Like, fuck yeah. Like, we're never going to stop getting Hellboy movies. I was going to say, like, what other comic book franchise can boast, like, how many different reboots are, has it been now? Right. Well, it's not like even how now. many reboots, but Spider-Man. just, like, how many movies <laughs> have they yeah. had, you know? Like, I mean, yeah. that's a that's a shit ton of movies for them to have on this yeah. character. And no, I mean, true. good that's, on them. That's great. Yes, that's yeah. excellent. Green, good yeah. Green Lantern doesn't even have that. Yeah, yes. there you go. You know what I mean? So, Although, um, And we should keep in mind that this is all... Mike Mignola, like this is this is his thing. And yeah, so that's and I great. mean Christopher awesome. Golden, Mike Mignola, like I, I gotta yeah. I, I gotta put a little bit of trust into that. You know yeah. what I mean? I gotta put a little bit of trust into that. They're great storytellers, both of them. So, I mean, if, if they're involved with the screenplay and and, and Brian Taylor sounds ex- as excited as he is in this interview to want to work with them right. and make it a faithful adaptation, and you know they're doing a short story, which I've always said that they should do. Absolutely, they should just we've do always said a that. small, just like slice of life. Hellboy's doing a weird investigation. I would love it to be something with Abe, or at least just but one I, story. But I understand just they probably don't have story. the they probably don't have the budget for that. You know no, what right, I mean? Sure. So the Crooked Man. I mean, it's a people love that one. People yeah. say that's one of the best short stories. So anyway, yeah, we could go on and on, but it's just like it. All I could think of when I was uh, reading about it was the Simpsons with that Simpsons yeah. meme or whatever <laughs> about you know ordering the Frogert. No, well, it's, he's getting the Krusty the Clown doll for Bart. Yeah, you get you get what you want, but it's not exactly what you what you want. Yeah. Anything else we're seeing? Or we started watching uh, the uh, the new Natasha Leone thing that we were Poker watching. Face. Poker, Poker Face. Face. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, I'm enjoying you, that. Is it good? I oh, really like it. We love it so far. I just like her, and yeah. so just whatever she's doing is great. But she's got a lot of good people around her. Like the ca- the rest of the cast is good and. I'm enjoying the fact that it's basically like if you had like a uh, grizzled, like down on their look, like detective, but she's not a cop. So it's great. Yeah. I'm really loving the fact that she's not a detective. I was equating, she's it, not it, to a the, I was equating it to the old Incredible Hulk TV show. It's great. <laughs> where I was like, uh, you know, he's just like the Hulk and he goes around and sometimes he helps people and or fuck shit up. <laughs> That's exactly what she's doing. So. Running around helping people and or fucking things up. Yeah. Yes. So we've only, we're only two episodes in, but it's, it's very good so far. Isn't that from creator Ryan Johnson? I see him like posting about it on Twitter. Yes. All over the place. Yeah. He's directed yeah. all the episodes, which makes so. perfect sense because no, the no, episodes no, are 
they are constructed like the way that you would think his yeah. show would be constructed. Like if if you're a fan of Knives Out, if you like Glass Onion, you'll like the show. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was good. Yeah. So I found him. Okay. So a long time ago, back in the nineties, like a friend of mine brought over this movie on VHS called Twilight of the Cockroaches, and I've never found it again. And I found it streaming on Freebie or Freeview, whatever the fuck it's called. Tubi? <laughs> Freebie. Tubi. Oh, free, free, Freebie. Free, yeah. The one that used to be I, IMDb TV. It's, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's a, this part animated, part live action movie. Uh, where it's like this society of cockroaches that are living in this apart or this one dude's mm. house, and he doesn't care. He's just like brushing them away. And Joe's apartment? No, it just came out long before that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they and like you see, it's from the and the animated part is from the roaches' perspectives, and it's like they have this perfect society, like this wonderful place, and they don't have to worry about getting killed. And all of a sudden, this cockroach comes from this other house where it's war all the time, uh, and then the guy hooks up with a girl and she sees a roach in the morning she kills it and everybody's like freaking out and then we're like well we'll go have a talk with him we'll talk to him and all this <laughs> and then they you know the girl and the guy they go even they come back and with all this bug spray and it's like bug <gasps> apocalypse oh wow yeah it's That's it's a mess weird up what a weird movie it's a it's a japanese uh, animated film so. oh wow wow interesting yeah. okay uh, so it is fucking weird if you really want to see it it's streaming on freebie. Okay. Right on, man. So check what, it out. What used to be on? I will not TV? check that out. You can go ahead and check that out. Um, what about you, Wes? Have you been checking anything out, watching anything, reading anything? I mean, I'm reading whatever you guys tell me to read, and then I'm going to talk <laughs> about it. Gonna... <laughs> no, but I don't know. I can go get my pile. But I'm I'm reading like the new Fifty Two Swamp thing. I'm reading I'm reading that right now because I didn't Ooh. read it. So I'm like, I went I went and grabbed it, and then. I don't know. I, got, I went to a used bookstore, so I found that. I'm reading um, From Hell. So I'm reading From Hell because we talked about it. And then it was oh, at. Oh, wow. Nice. Okay, nice. Yeah, it was at the used bookstore down the street from where I nice. worked. So I picked it up. And then, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been reading The Authority um, ever since like James Gunn announced that they were going to make a movie of it. I got the uh, digital omnibus for the first um, the first digital omnibus. I mean, I've read it before, but... Like, Years and years and years ago, but right. uh, I believe it's pronounced omnibus. Oh, right. Sorry, my bad. I got the digital omnibus. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I've been reading that. I was like, oh yeah, I, I was like, I fucking love that comic. So I'm excited for that movie to be coming out eventually, okay. whenever nice, it does. Nice. Okay. Cool, man. All right. And now we're gonna go on to our book club episode for the week. So let's all give a big, a big wave to Danielle. I'm floating away. Uh, Danielle's floating away. And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week, actual book club. And so I'm going to throw it over to Wes. Wes, um, what are we reading this week? Yeah, we're continuing on with the Baltimore novel. This is part of the larger Outerverse series of titles. Um, and we're reading The Sailor's Tale, Sanctus. And then this book was published in 2007. I do, do we want to go through all this stuff again? Written by Mike Mignola, Christopher Golden, with illustrations by Mike Mignola. Where we la- last left off, we heard Dr. Rose's telling of his story and the reason why he found himself at the beck and call for Lord Baltimore. And now we're about to hop onto Ice Cross's tale. And then, did you guys see that that Cocaine Bear movie came out? You know what I'm talking about? I have not watched it yet, but I want to see it. It looks so insane. <laughs> but I was like, what the heck? Is it, We just read that story. 
Right? Oh, we did. Yeah, about a giant bear. I mean, I didn't. It didn't have cocaine in it, but you know, it <laughs> was, was no a, cocaine. It was a rampaging was bear. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's in the zeitgeist right now. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, um, I want to see that movie uh, directed by Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, I will definitely check that out eventually. Yeah. So, like all the sections, we start off with a quote from the Steadfast Tin Soldier by Hans Christian Andersen. So I, so I was telling you guys about the uh, used bookstore that's down the street from where I work. Mm-hmm. So they had a collection of Hans Christian Andersen stories in there, like a kid's book version. So I read The Steadfast Tin Soldier and I read it to my son who doesn't really know what the heck I'm saying when I'm reading him stories. Maybe. Aww. Maybe he does. I have no idea. But my wife is in there and she was like, all right, from now on, we got to read these first and then you can read the story because it was like, oh, yeah. so <laughs> bad. It was like the saddest story ever. Wow. Mm. Oh, so you so you bought the, the little book. I bought yeah. It's actually a pretty short story. Like it's a pretty quick read. I read it in nice. I don't even know how picture, many minutes. Uh, will you take a picture of that book and send it to me? I'd love to post that. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, I've never thought of that. I should get a copy of that to go along with this. That's a great idea. I, I, I've I've never actually read it, so I would love to get a copy of it and read this sad, sad story. <laughs> it's sad. I saw it in the store and I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I got it. Well, I think it was a dollar, and I was like, sweet. And then I read it. <laughs> So my son and my wife was like, we're not doing that again. And I was like, okay. We'll have to send you a copy of Color Kittens. Okay. <laughs> we, yeah. talk, we talked about that one a while back. That's a good little kid's book. Yeah, that sounds good. On the table where they were being set up were other toys. But the chief thing which caught the eye was a delightful paper castle. It was altogether charming. But the prettiest thing of all was Little Maiden standing at the open door. The Steadfast Tin Soldier by Hans Christian Andersen. Nice. All right. We pick up with the guys sitting at the bar. They're at the, you know, waiting for Baltimore. Childress and Astros are taken back by Dr. Rose's tale. Rose seems unburdened having shared his story. Dr. Rose brings up getting food for him and Astros. He brings it up again like, hey, do you want to get food? Astros <laughs> says poultry. He doesn't trust the pies. Anything can be in the pies. That's yeah, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. yeah, He's like, they could put anything in there. Yeah. Yeah. You never know in this town. It's like some sweetie, Sweeney Todd stuff going on. Yeah. I oh, mean, I, I guess, I guess like back there, you had to think about stuff like that, you know, a little bit more. Cause I mean, I was, well, I wasn't thinking anything that devious. I was thinking like rats or like, you know, yeah. uh, just like squirrels and whatnot. Yeah. Rotted meat or whatever, whatever right. they have, just throw it in the pie. Yum. So Dr. Rose asked Childress <laughs> if he'd, if he'd like food and he agrees to having some food, joking that if they all die from the food, this would be a way he'd join them. <laughs> Right, and then requests the stew. So, uh, oh right, he's like, I'll take the stew. Childress asks Ice Cross if he believes Doctor Rose's tale, and Ice Cross says, "Don't you?" And asks him if he wants another ale. Ice Cross leaves to go get the ales, and uh, when he returns, find Rose and Childress amidst conversation. They're chatting about whatever. Who knows what they're talking about. I think it's funny because as one gets up, then the two other ones talk about the one that got up. And then when right. they're, <laughs> they're all like kind of like conferring with each other about the other one. I think it's interesting. Yeah, they're like learning each other, seeing how they, you know, right. what their opinions are, getting comfortable with each other for sure. So Dr. Rose and Childress are eager to hear the story that Ice Cross has from when Baltimore left Dr. Rose's care and into Ice Cross's care. Uh, they want to hear that part. Ice Cross gets ready to tell this tale and in getting ready to tell this tale he drinks a third of his ale he like takes this big yeah. gulp. 
and then wipes wipes his chin from whatever's there. He, he the story talks about how there's the beer is flat, so there's no foam. It's just liquid that's on his chin. Right. Well, it also says like they switched to beer because the whiskey was starting to taste like mule piss. Yeah. They were Ugh. like, uh, it was more piss than whiskey, so we switched to beer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when I was like reading this, it was yesterday actually, uh, and they're talking about the flat beer and all that, and I was thinking. If you had a soda stream, could you reincarnate your beer? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't see why we not. do have a soda stream, but I don't want to leave a beer out just to get flat. <laughs> got to do it. You got to do it. Science for science, science, Aubrey. Uh, Kathy won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like the way that Ice Cross sort of settles into his chair and starts his story. He starts by saying he had grown tired at this point from seeing the men he had been taken back from war had been how they were like dead and whatever. But Baltimore was different, right? Like the men were ruined and they had dead all, dead eyes. But Baltimore in some way was different from the other ones. When he picked up Baltimore, the other men had kept away from Baltimore, although they didn't seem to be aware that they were keeping away from Baltimore. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. So everybody had dead eyes, but Baltimore had a strange light in his eyes. Right. So they're all getting the plague, right, I guess, yeah. or something like that. But he's like, since he's got this superhuman mist that's been breathed into his leg or that did something to him that changed him right or something right so yeah it could be i mean with yeah. Manuel, it's all it's all a mystery you never know every answer yeah. is just more questions but i but feel maybe... like maybe that's why they're not aware that they're staying away from him like it's almost like an instinctual thing because they're being affected by this plague thing and baltimore is like somehow affecting a different it. way yeah yeah that's interesting yeah well I was thinking that it wasn't so much that the plague on the sol- for the soldiers. It's more like you know they've just been through war and um, you know oh traumatized yeah. PTSD. Yeah, I was thinking that like too. That. Oh, yeah. you're right. It because, could be that too. You know they're 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 they're, they're missing limbs. They're, right. They, they've yeah. Seen some shit. Yeah. yeah. Doctor Rose was cutting off all these arms and legs on the last episode. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. But also the plague. And then also the plague. Yeah. But it also made me think like Baltimore had a strange light in his eye. It also reminds me of like all the different coloring jobs that Dave Stewart does and like where he's associating something. We don't really see, like I'm trying to remember in Omnibus 1, do we ever see like light in Baltimore's eyes? But I don't know. Just, yeah, oh, that'd be mm. interesting to go back and look at. Because he's always doing that color association, you know? And I feel yeah. like Mike Mignola probably has that like he probably drops it all the time because this book came out so much before the comics came out so i wonder if it was just something you know in the back of mignola's head or christopher right yeah so baltimore is on deck everybody's on deck that night baltimore insists to be kept on deck during the first night ice cross asks why and his reply was that he was looking for kites in which only later that ice cross wouldn't know what he meant weirdly enough today i was listening to npr driving around and they were talking about uh, this documentary that you can i can't remember what it's called but apparently there are these birds in um india i believe that are called kites and it's about these two brothers that are trying to save them <laughs> oh interesting yeah. okay that and is interesting. big black birds oh wow <laughs> yeah i wonder if that has anything to do with these that they call kites because these are big giant bats right yeah uh, basically is what baltimore is referring to as the kites i mean it's probably just a coincidence right right i just thought it was kind of hilarious that like, I, I, I <laughs> saw... yeah anyway yeah, man. There's a pandemic going on right now. There's kites on NPR. Oh, oh no. Oh, it's the plague. <laughs> <laughs>
Better better stock up on your knives. <laughs> shit ton of knives, yeah, shit, ton of, shit ton of guns or whatever. Yeah, I need All to get some knives. Oh, yeah, a cross knife. <laughs> so the morning comes, and in the morning, Baltimore seems to be of good cheer and eager to return to England and his home. So even though he's like this, the other soldiers still keep their distance from him. It's funny, like these things get brought up, but we never get answers for them. It's like, right. It's just like kind of like a little weird detail, but it adds a lot of like speculation of what's going on. Yeah, that speculation adds weirdness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ashros approaches him. He doesn't stay away from him, right? He strikes up conversation with Baltimore. Baltimore discusses with him that he knows of a hospital he believes would be able to build him a wooden leg. That would help him travel, um, and he'd like to go there before heading home to his ancestral island. Astros kind of hints that he would like to travel with Baltimore and take time away from his war duties he had been performing. And Baltimore reads the signs that Ice Cross sort of laid down and asks him to join him and, and pass on his duties to his second-in-command, and that it would be hard for him to walk around as a one-legged person through London and he could use the help. So Aww, they're becoming yeah. bros right here. Yeah. yeah totally I feel like friends. there there is a long thread throughout these chapters of just them being bros that I really like. Yeah. Like they're like they care about each other. They're actual like bros where like Ice Cross is like, oh, all the men are all traumatized, but here's this one dude. He's just kind of weird. And we struck up a conversation and then we're like, hey, let's go chill in London for a little bit and walk around. I hope you get your leg. I mean, yeah. It's not the best circumstances, but it sounds like it would be a lovely time. <laughs> yeah. No, it totally is. It's just like a random, you know, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's super cool of Ice Cross to go and do it. So then we get, we sort of pull back into the scene with Dr. Rose and Childress are like really listening to every word that comes out of Ice Cross's mouth. They haven't even taken a sip from their beer at this point. Childress claims to Baltimore that he was afraid. And Dr. Rose exclaims that fear is a rational response. And when the curtain is pulled away from the world, is pulled back, and we realize how much of what is behind is unknown, it's scary. And, you know, wanting companionship, I guess, is helpful. I I like that too. And, And even that idea was that he was scared. It's like, what an even better, what an even sweeter reason to have your bro come along. It's like, oh, well, I'm kind of scared. I don't want to do this by myself. Right. It's like, well, I'll come and I'll help you and, you know, and have your back. And it's like, ah, it's very wholesome. Yeah, we <laughs> don't really ever. Story, in this horrible story, there are these little glints of like something wholesome underneath. Yeah, it's all wholesome. Right? But we, like in the first couple stories that we read, like Baltimore always like seems to have a companion like that he gets in the moment you know yeah Yeah. you're right you're right it's not until later when like his companions get affected by the things that are going on that he's like it's on my own the doctor pulls another cigarette and puffs from his cigarette you know smoking those chain smoking doctor as he looks back at the kitchen door probably eager to see where the food is childress asks if ice cross traveled home with baltimore in time he said we traveled first to london and spent several weeks there, where Lord Baltimore had his wooden leg made. It was different from anything Ice Cross had seen before or since. Baltimore could afford the finest work, and it must have been. But they gave him like a, a peg leg first, right? And then he had this. Yeah, yeah and then like and... this one's all detailed with a hinge, and we don't even know how it works and stuff like that. I, I, I love that like that, that thing in the sketchbook where Mignola draws it out. He goes, <laughs> I don't know how this works. <laughs> but I mean, Magic, they, were there, they were there for weeks in London, several weeks, he says. I mean, what's several weeks? That's several more than weeks a month, is, right? Yeah. Is, several, that's like well, at least, I don't know. 
five weeks or something like that. I mean, that's a long time. Like, yeah. you know, and they're having this pet. He's having his leg made. Like, what's happening in the meantime? That's Are they true. going like, to bars? Are they going to go see shows? Do they go to <laughs> Baltimore's loaded? He's got money up right? the wazoo. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know. I've just <laughs> I want the fan fiction for the for this these uh, series of weeks. What cool stuff that they go do? So you remember like Hellboy in Mexico where he like goes and he gets drunk and he gets he yeah goes wrestling yeah. and but you can imagine them like they go they play poker they get in a bar fight they go there and you go dancers they end up in a bad scene and they they're having fun and they're high fiving each other or something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we we do know like from later in the on um, when he when he actually gets home, he's like you know the people are going to bring their luggage up, including the gifts that they bought in London. So we know they definitely went shopping. Oh, they did. They went and bought gifts for everybody. That's a great detail, Aubrey. Okay, awesome. I love yeah, this true. idea. Yep. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I want to know why the peg leg took a few weeks to be made too. Like, right. Oh, I mean. The thing is intricate. Of course, it's gonna. T- I can't whip yeah. that up in a night. and it's got that's magic fair. in it too. So it that's what I. Like- that's why I want to be like. There had to be magic. Like they had to right. get they made probably by had some to like- special puppeteer guy, and then they right, or- handed off to some occultist that Baltimore knew, but he couldn't keep it secret, so he didn't even let Ice Crust know. And he had like you know, some right, magic and they- put in there. They had to like bury it under the full moon for <laughs> for a fortnight or something like that. I don't yeah, know took, something took something some cool blue, like that. <laughs> traded for some blue fairy blood and put it in the thing. It was carved from like the most ancient tree uh, that was struck by lightning. Right there, you go during a uh, <laughs> during a full moon on Halloween. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Geppetto was the sculptor of the leg. <laughs> Thanks, Geppetto. <laughs> He's like, other leg went great. Now I'm going to carve a boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a real leg. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Ice Cross continues. Baltimore rarely discusses his time in the war, although Ice Cross could see that it weighs upon him. No ghosts tormented him more than the horrors that had befallen him in the Ardennes forest. One day, Ice Cross and Baltimore came upon a coachman who seemed nearly dead, slumped with the reins in his hand, his flesh gray and sheen from sweat, his eyes wide and dull and black. Dr. Rose coughed, like I imagine that we're being brought back into the... Right, into the and he, that made so, him uncomfortable when he heard about that guy that has he has the plague, right? And Dr. Rose is like, oh, that, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a dramatic scene. Dr. Rose coughed and reaches for his beer while Chadras says early signs of the plague. I imagine this scene, fun scene, to sort of pull us back into the moment. But Yeah, that's cool. From that point, we noticed it everywhere. In London, the English authorities promised that the English Channel would keep the people safe, that the plague was not going to reach their shores and had not reached their shores yet. But Baltimore and Ice Cross had seen proof that that wasn't true. Ice Cross says, we left London and struck out to the northwest. At last, Lord Baltimore was headed home. They're sweeping everything under the rug. Um, the two men arrived in Boss Castle Harbor, where Ice Cross describes as a storybook place. So I looked it up. Baltimore arranged for a fisherman to ferry them out to Trevilian Island, where Baltimore's ancestral home stood for over 300 years. So I couldn't find anything about Trevilian Island. There was like a Charles Trevilian who had an island in the Caribbean, but he wasn't really a great guy, and I don't know. Yeah, I think I looked it up when we were doing the comic, and I didn't find anything. 
Yeah, but Boss Castle Harbor is a real place. It's on the Cornish coast. I think we said this stuff already too. Like I think I'm oh, okay. this stuff. It's a fishing port north on the north coast of Cornwall, England. The harbor is a natural inlet protected by two stone harbor walls built in 1584. Lost Castle lies in Cornwall area of outstanding natural beauty, A-O-N-B. So storybook look sounds accurate if it, I guess it falls inside that right, natural right. beauty. Yeah. yeah, and then we get some sweet Mignola illustrations through this part, which is awesome. Oh yeah, I love these. Throughout their travels, Baltimore had talked of sending a letter ahead of them, but always decided against it. He didn't want his family to worry about him losing his leg. He figured if they saw him healthy and missing one leg, it would be better than them finding out that he lost his leg and worrying about him or something like that. What he right. says, better to see I return to them, if not whole, at least healthy. Yeah, I mean, because can you imagine like you get a letter from you know relative who's coming home from war? Oh, and I lost my leg. Right. You know, and, and like, you'd be oh, like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it comes up, it bounces. Well, you don't look like you lost a leg. <laughs> yeah. It's a magical puppet leg. <laughs> so Baltimore's spirits raised, and he even smiled as they came closer to Trillian Island on the little fishing boat. It must have been the only time that Ice Cross saw untainted happiness in his companion, he says. But the darkness Baltimore carried was still in there. Baltimore talks about how he once wanted to travel around the globe, but now we'll never leave his island again. That's what he says to Ice Cross. His parents want grandchildren, and he wishes to oblige them and count himself a lucky man just staying on the island. Ice Cross exclaims that Trevilian Island seems like a lonely place, but Baltimore says no, a quiet place, but there are people here, other families and servants. For me, this was never a lonely place. It was simply home. He enjoyed the quiet, and some of his fondest memories were times alone playing with his toys his father had given him. As he's thinking about this, and as they get closer, Baltimore faltered in this moment. Ice Cross asks, are you all right? Baltimore's color had faded from his face, and he said he felt a little disoriented. Ice Cross tells him to sit. The sea is a bit rough. And Baltimore comments about Ice Cross spending his entire life aboard a ship and asks him if he ever gets homesick. Ice Cross shrugged. I don't have another home, he says. You don't talk about your childhood, Baltimore says. And Ice Cross replies, never really had one. Traveling with Baltimore has been the longest he'd spent on dry land in one go. Baltimore was touched to hear this and reached out and gripped Ice Cross's shoulder firmly and says, I have been grateful for your company. It's hard times with the war and the plague. We've just got to take care of our own now. Bro. Bro should be at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bro. We'll take care of each other, bro. But I do think it's like, what does he mean by like take care of it? Because he knows that like there are vampires and monsters out there. And it's like, yeah, we got to take care of each other now, man. We've seen. Some yeah. Stuff. Or I, I think our own, like our own family, our own, uh, yeah, our own loved family. ones. Or he considers like him family. He considers yeah. him family. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Point. Yeah. They spent weeks. They they caused chaos. You know, they lost they lost a few dollars in that poker game. Yeah, <laughs> smashed those holes, hugged each other, made up a handshake. Yeah, good now. Uh, Ice Cross replies, "Yes, sir. It's all we can do in such times." He nodded towards the island, which they were able to make out clearly now because it was so close. And now you are home, he says to Baltimore. A troubled expression fell on Baltimore's face as he asked Ice Cross if he was going to stay a while. You said you would. 
let Trevelyan Island show you a bit of hospitality. He's like, stay, man, and have some food with my wife, and like, let me take care of you. Like, he's afraid to lose his bro. He doesn't want to lose. Yeah, his bro. he's yeah. like, hang out here for a little bit. I want to introduce you and show you my digs and all this kind of stuff. You know, he's you like, man, I got a killer game room up there. <laughs> you got yeah. hot meals, comfortable bed. You know, I got a pool table. <laughs> yeah, he's like really, he's really grown attached to ice crust. It's interesting. Yeah. At my 80 inch screen wide screen 4K TV. <laughs> What's yeah. a TV? You'll find out in 30 years. No. But Ice Cross enables him. He's like, fine, I'll stay for a few days. I'll be. The- but the taste of seas got me yearning for my home and my ship, he tells him. As they walk down the wooden walkway onto the island, Ice Cross notices a burnt area of the woods and a ruined shell of a home that stood in the midst, gutted by the fire, like right in the hole of the, of the woods there. He wondered how it started. Ice Cross describes the estate. And mentions pillars with an arch and a coat of arms on the arch, like on the top of the arch. And then a woman in a black dress approaches them. She seems wraith-like, he explains. Which is kind of cool. That is a cool description. Mm-hmm. Ice Cross sees concern on Baltimore's face. Obviously, they're connecting the black dress as a symbol of mourning. Elowen raises her hand to her mouth and turns into a fist as she sees her husband's leg and says, Henry, oh, my darling Henry. They went to each other and into each other's arms and Ice Cross kind of looks away, sort of gives them their private moment. Elowen says she saw the boat, but told herself it couldn't be him. But she had placed her hope on every single vessel that had come to the island ever since the day he left. What's happened, Ellie? Baltimore asks. Where is everyone? Ellie tells him that they had been taken by the plague, his parents and his sister. Helen. Ice Cross wanted to reach out and comfort his new bro, but felt it wasn't in his place. Yeah, awkward, right? Because he's like, hey, come, I'm going to show you all my cool shit. And then you get there and it's like, oh, your whole family's dead. And then he like breaks down in front of And this dude's just like, well, fuck, I thought we were going to play pool. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I thought we were still going to be bros and you get a girlfriend, man. What's going on? What's, what's the deal? Um, I really like this uh, illustration of. Um... Elowin that uh, Mignola draws on the book. Yeah, there you go. You get to see that kind of wraith morning dress and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's a great picture. Yeah, and you get what are the flowers down there? Look like uh, lilies or yeah, something. Yeah, they do kind that's of look like lilies, lilies, which are featured a lot in the Hellboy comics. Yeah, they come out of the, his blood. Oh. Mm-hmm. The plague attacked the island mercilessly, taking others on the island other than just Baltimore's family. Keenan Howell was the only survivor of his household and burned his house down with his family inside to keep the plague from spreading. I imagine they were dead, right? I hope they were dead when he... Oh, right, yeah. And that was that burned house that Ice Cross saw when they were walking in. Yep. Half the servants died. No one else in the past nearly a month have gotten sick, and it seems like the plague has passed from the island. Baltimore flinched and began to shake, but not a tear fell. Ice Cross stepped in to introduce himself. This is like a weird, awkward situation. but like, Yeah, it really is. Like, Baltimore's like shaking and, and upset and has questions. And, Ice, and he's Ice like, hey, uh, by the way, I'm this weird guy that's just standing here. Hi. Yeah, he goes to offer his consul- condolences and introduce himself to Elowin. And then Baltimore just collapses down to the ground. Elowin falls with him, like following him, making sure he doesn't fall hard. And Ice Cross jumps down to the ground as well. They both go to the ground. He goes into like a catatonic state, right? Baltimore is uh, all disoriented. And he goes, the jack in the box is laughing again. I love that part. Yeah. I think he may get out. And we get that other, we get that creepy image. Is this the same image from earlier, right? Where we saw the jack in the box alluded? Because yep. I, I loved that. That was, 
you know, um, when he was dying or, and he was picturing himself as the 10 soldiers and it was going back and forth between his trauma in the war and then him being sick as a kid in bed, I guess that was his trauma from his childhood. And they're yeah. both kind of mixing together, you know, both of those memories. So yep. um, anyway, I thought that that was a great way to kind of flash back to that. He's like reverting back to a childhood state or to a childhood trauma, you know, which I think is pretty interesting and just like uh, really creepy. Like the the, yeah. the, the Jack in the Pox d- uh, description was so creepy in that first part. And then just having that little inset panel there, the illustration is like, Ugh. I'll jump back a little bit from that ice cross goes down and checks for signs of life and basically tells all when he's seen this before from people from war that when they've seen so much drama and they come home, they sort of like it's overwhelming. And then hearing all this stuff is too overwhelming. He offers to carry Baltimore inside and Elowen is grateful for the help. And he sort of talks about that. Like he's a low born foreign sailor. And oh, right. He yeah. like accepts the help and is cool with, Ice Cross carrying him in and coming into her house. And just the fact that he came with Baltimore, she's cool with him. Right. Because he's like a all scarred up, dirty old sailor, right? I guess, you know? Yeah, it's unexpected for a Baroness to accept help like this or even allow someone of his stature, I guess, in the house. So I I think it's his way of saying like, Elowen's cool, man. Yeah, she was cool and she wasn't like everybody else who treated him like shit. Exactly. She passes the bro test. She's, she's <laughs> chapter two as Ascross ice cross tells this story he sort of stares off into the space of the bar. He's like, almost like he's looking in a window from the past and Dr. Rose calls him out of it. He goes, Demetrius and his new companions sort of bring him back into the moment. At first element thought Baltimore just needed rest as he became sickly and feverish over the loss of his sister and parents. And a parade of doctors gave no comfort and didn't offer any help. Ice Cross felt like he was of no help. And he was sort of lost there. He longed to return to the sea to have purpose in his life. He feared for Lady Baltimore and his friend. But she gave her blessing to to let him leave, even though in her eyes he could see that she felt betrayed. It would be nearly four months before Ice Cross would return and by then, the evil that had only begun to taint Trebillion Island had consumed it entirely. And Lady Elowen Baltimore would be dead. Icegrass talks about the time when he does return. He goes, um, he talks about a graveyard overlooking the Gray Atlantic on Trebillion Island. Icecross, when he returns, walks the winding path in the cemetery, and the sea called to him like a siren call. Cold winds swept across the cemetery. Ice Cross popped the collar of, I like this part, he popped the collar of his pea coat and thrust his hands into his pocket. The sooner he could leave, the better. But first he had to pay his respects to the lives that were lost on the island. So I like the idea of in a, in a pea coat. I just, now it makes me want to get a pea coat. That's cool, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get some scars on my face and get a little pea coat and be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> just get the a, just get the coat, Wes. You don't have to scar your face. It's fine. I mean, I'm not going to do it like I'll do it legit i'll go you know in the war and bring no oh, no don't no, do no, no, it don't do it <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not gonna do it i got a kid i'm not doing that i'm not some single male trying to find a bro friend and go to las vegas with <laughs> we jump back a little bit in the story here um to when he had returned to his mission working for the allies and ferrying soldiers back from the war each time he ferried soldiers it reminded him of henry 
And when he saw the plague, it reminded him of his failure to return and wondered what had become of Lord Baltimore and Lady Baltimore in those moments. He did not want to return because he feared what he would return to and justified it in the work that he was doing with the Allies. At this point, the war was still going on. People were still fighting, but it kind of had died because of the plague and everything else that was going on. So right. Everybody went home to die with their families and stuff like that. And so like the war was still going on, but there wasn't really fighting anymore, I guess. It's like the same powers were still at war, but the soldiers are all like, fuck this. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but even in all of that, ice cross can't stop thinking about his bro. He's like, oh, my bro, I should have been, what's, what happened to him? And that, and his wife was cool to me and she shouldn't have been because I'm so dirty and scarred. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he's still thinking about his bro. Every bro that I see makes me think of my other bro, bro. (laughs) Bro. (laughs) But yeah, so because of the new state of affairs in the world, the military wouldn't pay Ice Cross anymore to to move people back and forth. Um, so Ice Cross returned to fishing and merchant shipping and decided to return to Trevelyan Island. When he returned to Trevelyan Island, it was abandoned at this point. Only two homes were still occupied and he knocked on both of them. And one of them, a woman had told him, um, it was funny how they described, I was going to skip that part, but it's kind of funny. Like it was a bigger woman. She's got a bunch <clears throat> of cats and she's got two fishermen sons, right? And then yeah. she was, and like she only gave him information as long as he promised he wouldn't fish in that area right around Trevelyan. Oh yeah. Oh right, yeah. But she told him that Lord Baltimore had left the island after his wife died and had not been back since. The news struck him hard. He could not imagine Elowen dead. He had no idea where Baltimore went, but needed to visit the cemetery before leaving the island. Elowen had been laid to rest with Baltimore's family, and that's so he went to the cemetery to see her. Well, the graveyard sounds awesome. I just love graveyards. Um, oh, it's one of those, like, all the tombstones are all cobbled together, all on top of each other. That's, like, the way Mignola usually draws them and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And he walks a winding path, and the breeze is blowing, and there's rain about to start, and he still does it anyways. Ice Cross walks through the cemetery and falls with regret when he comes to the grave. Or not a grave. What is it? It's um, the crypt. Yeah, it says Baltimore across the top. And he hears a voice say, save your prayers. Ice Cross flinches and takes two steps backwards. There's a figure in the dark right next to the crypt. Who are you? Asked Ice Cross. A hooded monk walks out in a brown robe. He describes him as skin with papyrus and a thin build of a skeleton or skeletal. The time for prayer has passed, the monk says. Ice Cross nodded. So you've said. What do you know of it? A great deal, said the monk. (laughs) Hope and curiosity arose together. You know where Lord Baltimore has gone, Ice Cross says? Only where I hope he has gone. Only the purpose I hope he has undertaken. Riddles, Ice Cross snarled. Anger made his chest rise and his hands curled into fists. I've beaten men for clever answers. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give me that clever talk. I'll beat your ass. Tell me the truth. Just spit it out. Yeah. Uh, The monk spread his hands and bowed his head. I give you only the answers I have. Ice Cross frowned, wondering if the man was as much a lunatic as he seemed. All I want to know is what happened here. How did Lady Baltimore die? Again, the monk bowed his head, and when he looked up, the glittering light in his eyes had died, and they were lost in the deepening gloom. A gust of wind whipped up off the ocean, and Ice Cross shivered, pulling his collar up higher. Yeah, I love the illustrations, too, of the mausoleum and the headstones. We also see the monk in there, too, so those are all, like, little cool panels. I love all those. Yeah. 
the monk illustration is super cool and it's totally the um Mignola like uh tombstones thing but we get a soldier too on the yeah one of the tin soldiers on the horse yeah it looks like the monk continues lord baltimore lay abed for weeks lost in fever and hallucination with the thought of himself a child again sick in bed cared for by his mother he asked for the toys of his childhood which lady baltimore could not provide doctors came all over saying time or nothing would save baltimore one morning baltimore even managed to smile at Elwyn. Later that night, a maid named Hedra came to his door. She told him a doctor was here to see him, and Lady Elowen wanted to see if he was okay enough to receive him. Baltimore declined, but Hedra forged on. Hedra went on to describe this doctor as maybe being in the war as well due to a big scar on his face across his eye. In that moment, he knew exactly who this doctor was. Right, yeah. That's Haggis. He's that big kite bat that breathes uh, funky smoke into his leg. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in that moment, Baltimore threw his grief aside. Panic raced through him. Baltimore strapped on his wooden leg and ran downstairs to find a hideous scene in the parlor. Lady Elowen's throat was cut and her arms were torn. I don't know. Do I describe this? All right. Graphic descriptions. Elowen's throat was torn apart and her arms were like all twisted and discarded like a woman she has bonitis she's got bonitis yeah (laughs) Um, my bones oh my god his bonitis and then he goes to the window and sees like a flying object kind of looks like a kite in the distance and as baltimore watches it slowly disappears we return to the graveyard where ice cross and the monk are so that's where he is gone ice cross asks in pursuit of the creature not at first the monk says Baltimore stared over the ocean for three days, seated in front of the crypt. He had surrendered, waiting for death to claim him at last, the monk said. On the third night, his wife came out from the crypt. Elowen dragged herself from the crypt, limbs still twisted like a marionette puppet, lurched forward. Baltimore would have gladly given his life in this moment. I think that's why he was there, right? He was there to be killed. Right, I think so, yeah. Yeah. But this is where the monk had entered the tale. And then there's like a little fight that goes on, or like, I don't know, this, this is a long description the the monk like talks about all the things that happened with Elowen jumping around and it's a little battle that goes on. Baltimore recognizes what she is, saying the word vampire. And Ah, that's the first time they say it. Yeah, they say it. I think. I think, um, right? I, uh, yeah. I think so. I don't even know. And the monk has his cross already off his neck, right? And Baltimore takes the cross from the monk. This part's graphic too. So takes the the cross from the monk and starts stabbing Elowen in the chest over and well, over yeah, until the... he finally pierces the heart. <clears throat> The the long bar is is sharpened to a dagger on the on the giant cross, right? Yeah. 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 I wonder if that's his cross knife that we see a bunch. Most likely. No, it's actually like a big cross sword. If you do Baltimore the Plague Ships issue four, if you start on page eighty six, you actually get to see uh, Baltimore. He comes home with Ice Cross. Uh, to Elowen, and you actually do see he has a little smile. If you look closely, he's like oh, smiling yeah. a little bit. Um, oh. And then he meets Elowen, and then Elowen tells him about his family, and then we see him all catatonic, and we see him. We see the tin soldiers. I thought this was interesting because they say that Elowen couldn't provide them, but in the comic, they're there. The hmm. the tin soldiers are there. Well, and maybe I was she wondering... couldn't provide all of them. Maybe she could provide some of them. Oh, he was like. Where's the one that's on the horse with the cannon or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. But he's got some of them and he's all like catatonic there. And then we even see when Hedra comes in, 
and tells him about the scar and then he straps on the leg and runs downstairs and finds uh Elowen. but when he finds her like she doesn't have bonitis i mean her throat is cut but she doesn't have like her limbs all messed up or whatever uh and then we also see the part with the monk where Elowen comes out and baltimore is going to let himself get killed and the monk comes out with his giant cross sword oh, <laughs> it's actually right. pretty cool yeah um start on page 86 of the omnibus and like it, it's very cool to see all this like depicted by ben stenbeck and dave stewart oh yeah he's smiling and he's got a full head of hair yeah he sure does he brings her body into the crypt right and then they decide to take her body out of the crypt they both carry the body out of the crypt and bring her body to the bluff where they set it on fire and then it describes a a shadow of a bird rising from the corpse and trying to get out. And the monk is there with his cross that he got back from Baltimore and he gets the bird to go back into the fire. And then moments later, a gray bloated thing like a toad attempts to crawl away, but the power of the cross again forces it back into the fire. I was like, man, did we see that? Like, No, we don't see that. We see the bird thing that is on, that is in the comic, but we don't see the bloated toad thing, toad thing, which is weird. That's a, that I think that maybe that's a detail that they were like, ah, let's, let's forget about that. (laughs) Yeah. The bird's good enough. They're like, yeah, the bird's fine. We'll just stick with the bird. Ice Cross links the plague to the vampires. And the monk says, of course it is. It's his job to spread the word of what's going on. Right. And God has chosen Baltimore to be the soldier of this war. The monk said he told Baltimore that God had honed him with a hammer and anvil, a blacksmith at the forge. He has made you suffer as did Job so that the world might be spared far worse. We talked about Job, right? When we read the conflict. Yeah, I think so. So he shares the vision. And so I think this is cool because he's like, my, my job is to spread the word. So in the comic, he tells Baltimore of this vision. But here in the book, he's telling Ice Cross of it. So of every everyone that he sees, he like, I guess, shares this. Um, <laughs> he's like, let me tell you about this crazy thing that I saw. It was sunset on a warm Sunday evening and I was tending to my garden. A chill passed through me and I fell faint. The plants I had been cultivating withered and blackened. When I looked up, I saw a figure striding towards me out of the sunset, wearing a red crown, clutching a gold scepter in its right hand and carrying a coffin under its left arm. The light of that sunset washed crimson over the land, flowing across the hills and fields in the color of blood. Its scarlet cloak unfurled behind it like wings, and where the shadow fell, the land was nothing but graveyards and battlefields. Wherever the darkness touched, the soldiers began to rise from muddy trenches where they had been left to rot. Graves split open and cadavers crawled free. They followed in the wake of the Red Death. Many could not walk. Too long in the ground, they crumbled to dust and loose bone and scraps of burial cloth. From these, winged shadows emerged and took to the air to follow the creature, black shapes against the red sunset. And through it all, I could hear across the land a rapid mocking laughter that sounded like gunfire. I fainted then, and when I came to my senses, I lay upon crushed flowers and stared up at the night sky. The dead had not risen. The world had not been infected with the touch of the red death, but I knew the time was coming. So he's kind of like, this shit's going to hit the fan soon. You know, I better tell everyone that I know about it, but... Um, I love that description of uh, the vision of the Red Death, and we get a great depiction of that by Mignola. Yeah. Um, and we also get a killer one in the comic. I love this one in the comic, too, with Dave Stewart on, like, in the comic one, we actually see the soldiers, like, rising out of the ground and stuff like that. We don't really get all that detail in the book one. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool, man. I love that part. That's so crazy. And it And it sounds like something that you would hear, like, a monk or a... You know, somebody saying like they had a vision, and they passed down when they came to like, and then right. they started telling mm-hmm. everybody. 
And then you would be like, I want some of what he's smoking. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're like, like that, you're right? <laughs> taking some peyote? What are you? What type of mushrooms are you eating, buddy? All right. So, but then Icecross asks him, what did Baltimore say when you shared this, this vision? He, the monk says, Baltimore knelt by the pile of ash and bone that was all that remained of his wife. And he promised to her that he would never rest, not even in death, until he had scorched the taint of that evil from the world. Oh, right. So, and I, I thought this part was really fucked up, too, because, like, uh, Ice Cross is like, well, he tells the monk, like, why don't you go do this? Like, yeah, why don't you, you go do the job? And yeah, he's yeah. like, and he's like, oh, my fate is elsewhere. I've foreseen it. I will go on warning all that will listen. And in a town not too far from here, my message will turn them against me. And they're going to yeah. stone me and hang me from a tree. And yep. he's like, so I have to do that. And Ice Cross is like, why? Why do you have to go that? And he's like, look, that's my role. Uh, yeah. I've been given this role and everybody else has theirs. And and he tells Ice Cross, you're going to have a role in this too. And he's like, what the fuck? I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what's that? my role? Yeah, and he's like, return to the sea, man. Go do your fucking job. Yeah. Go be a bro, man. That's what you're... That's what you're... <laughs> go be Baltimore's bro. That's what you were destined to be. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It sounds like Ice Cross is like freaked out by by all this stuff. So he does. He returns to the sea. He ice cross sails that night by the light of the moon and uh, is never to return to Trevelyan Island ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he saw some fucked up stuff there. man. He was like, I just wanted to see my bro. And like what's sad is like he knew that that was going to happen. He was like, I'm afraid to go back there because some fucked up shit has probably happened. And then he was totally right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he his excuse for not going was no more. He had to go. Yeah, because he was bro. He had that bro link. He just had to do it. He had to give in. Even if it hurts, dude, you gotta you gotta go for your bro, dude. Even if it hurts, right? <laughs> bros yeah. before woes. Yeah, bros before vamps, man. Bros before woes. I actually, that's really good. Good lord, says Doctor Rose. Said not knowing Baltimore had gone through all that. Childress had also known of Baltimore's family dying but didn't know that baltimore had that happen to him ice cross asked childress how well he knew baltimore's family and he tells him that trevilian island was his home they talk dr rose wants to hear childress's stories but childress says i don't think that ice cross is done from the sound of it ice cross has another story we want to hear the story that allowed him to accept henry's story he'll like he'll tell his story in time but i believe that ice cross has more stories we want to yeah, hear, and hear I that. like that Ice Cross is like, he doesn't like this. He's like, what do you mean? And he's like, I don't want to tell this story. Right. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, I tried to forget this shit. But yeah. they're like, no, we want to hear more. Like, so basically they're like, they want to know why he would believe Dr. Yep. Rose's story and Baltimore's story. Like, some, like you, something fucked up had to happen to you for you to, like, also right. believe this. Yeah, there's got to be more. Um, So Ice Cross accepts the challenge and is going to tell a story. So it goes all the way back to the time when Ice Cross was 19 years old. At this time, he only had 47 scars. He's still looking pretty good. (laughs) He'd only been in 237 fights. He worked for a captain who was drunk. Work had been hard to find or like he had a job. He had a, a good job, right? But something had been wrong with that. And then through a friend, he got this other job that took him out to Italy during this work, sh- shortly after leaving Capri, on his travels, he came upon a funeral procession. This is one of the times where he's on dryland. This is probably the reason why he never wanted to go back on dryland. I know, right? right? He's like, <laughs> he's like, you know what? Boats. I've never had any trouble with that. But there's monsters in the ocean, man. No, it makes so much sense. You're absolutely right. Right. Yeah. So as he sees this procession of villagers 
Ice Crow stepped aside and sort of put his head down as they passed and tried to keep his curiosity to himself and let them go by, but he couldn't control himself and ended up picking his head up. A couple of the passerbys at the tail end of the procession look at him. So he calls out to them and asks, excuse me, who died? Who had died? Chikanye took him, is what he said, who had died. The man said, Chikagne took him. Chikagne is not a man, but a town. They mourn more for themselves than the man who had been lost. Alberto Necho. He like bashes this dude. He's like, um, yeah, he was a coward and a liar and a filthy man. Yeah, he was a POS. And then the lady's like, he was a father and a husband. A poor father and a poor husband. Yeah, it was her cousin <laughs> or something like that, right? Isn't right, she right. He's like, He's like um, Chikagne so- called to him. The town calls sinners and they must answer. It lures them to their death. So like. The town calls people and they get killed there. And so he was like, if if it called him, he was probably bad. Yeah, that's what he thinks. But the woman defends him. She's like, no, the, the town calls anybody. Anybody can be lured. They're not just sinners. Ah, right. Um, no one knows how he died, but he was found dead and brutalized, twisted, like a probably, you know, bonitis style. Right. <laughs> Ice Crow says he travels north. He's going towards uh, Genoa, right? And his in his travels, he will pass chikanye in his route and the man spits on the ground as he says this right um his and his wife looks his look at astros with pity chikanye is a commune oh that's a real place i had no idea in the metropolitan city of genoa in the italian region of Ligoria, located about 25 kilometers east of genoa nice and it's rated really high on TripAdvisor as a place to go and visit that's all that's what i found wow that's That's awesome (laughs) that's awesome because this story is like you don't want to visit this place Well, there's a reason why it's it's rated fairly high, and I'm not going to be tripped by that. I'm not being uh, tripped. Yeah, you know, they're trying to trick it. you. Yeah, I'm no sinner. I'm not doing that. I'm not falling for these. But, but I thought, I, but I thought that was interesting because it makes me think of like whenever something bad happens, like religious uh, extremists try to say, "Well, that's because you because of God." Oh, well. The only people that are getting dying from COVID or they don't like God. And then and then people who are religious get killed, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there's always like a thing like that where they try and go, oh, like, well, it's because of this and that. And only horrible people get AIDS. And then Magic Johnson get a- gets AIDS and everyone's like, oh, well, wait a second. Uh, no, actually, everyone can get it. And then there's a big public acceptance of it. But a lot of things start off like that where people yeah. are like. Well, you must have been bad to get that. Well, and also, you know, the priests, are, those, there's certain televangelists that will blame, like, hurricanes on LGBTQ people. Right. Or, or, or acceptance yeah. of people like that. Right. And I'm just like, you're a fucking idiot. Those hurricanes <laughs> kill everybody. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, anyway, that's what that made me think of. All right, so the, wom- the woman says, stay by the sea. She sort of gives... Ice Crust some advice. Ice Crust believes all this is all superstitious nonsense. There must have been some reasonable answer. Like he talks about like the well is being tainted or something like that. And people oh, right. Like maybe there was it. a poisoned well or something. Okay. Right. He talks about a few reasonable answers. Ice Crows continues north for about two hours, passing abandoned homes and farms. Like everything is sort of like left. And a cart and a tinkerer sort of passes him along the path and offers him a ride. But at the pace he's walking, he should be good to get to Genoa by nightfall. So chooses to walk and thanks to Tinkerer. I wonder if he would have avoided all this if he would have just taken the ride. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Or or maybe a ride on the cart was a quicker way to disaster. Who knows? Or maybe. Ooh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. We'll come back around to this. Remind me of this later and we'll come back around. All right. From the road, he can see a town through the trees. Towers that could have only been a church. He thought it was uh, Chicania. He came across a sign that must have been the sign for Chicania. 
but the sign had been faded. Ice Cross comes to realize that in the distance he's been hearing it, but hadn't recognized what it was, that there was music playing and that the music had been playing before he even noticed. His curiosity had gotten the better of him and decided that he should go check out this odd town. <laughs> and he yeah. is like, dude, are you serious, man? All right. You're like, what? You deserve all that. Goddamn 19-year-old son of a gun. <laughs> I know. They're like, stay near the sea. And he's like, uh, yeah. I kind of want to check this out. The, where there's music. <laughs> yeah. Your brain technically is not developed until you're 25 years old. Well, so but like also, perfect. like, is he being lured there? Like, is the music yeah. doing something oh, supernatural to him? You know what I mean? That's why she stayed, said st- stay near the sea to just like avoid it altogether. Yeah. Because I think like once you get trapped in it, it's like a web, you know what I mean? Or something. Yeah, totally. So his curiosity had gotten the better of him and he decides to go check out the town. And he feels like he has time to do so, that he can go check out the town and be back on the road to Genoa before nightfall. He felt the town had been abandoned and wanted to know why. After being in the sun, walking as long as he had been walking, when he got into the woods on the road to the town, it felt extra cold, like he felt really cold. And then the quietness in the woods sort of gave him some hesitation. It gave him some like, if... There are no animals, then maybe right. there's something wrong with Chicago. But yeah. he's, you know, maybe he'll get sick, or and that's probably why there's no animals there. He ex- explains the town as like super colorful. There's like pink and white stones. The buildings are beautiful. They have balconies that you would that he had only previously seen in Spanish towns. Um, and as he walks through, there's a cemetery that's off the road to the east. The stone wall ran around the cemetery. The graveyard was ugly and in contrast to the town, with markers bare with no name or symbol to indicate the identity of the dead. In the center of the cemetery was a dark, withered tree stump, so broad it could have served as a king's dinner table. The town didn't feel right. It felt off. And he found two carts in the middle of the town. He thought it odd procession that had passed through and what the people had said when he heard it he thought it was silly but now being in the place he started to feel uneasy he starts to get all scared yeah 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 he did not want to be there past dark so he starts to head back towards the woods as he starts heading back and he got as far as the cemetery music starts to play he starts to hear the music in and he looks back and sees a man on the top of a hill playing a flute swaying like dancing back and forth and growing louder as he approaches ice cross the man gets up to him and ice cross applauds him he's like smiling happy happy guy and the man comes a few feet from from him and with a grin says thank you signore um you are very welcome ice cross says he says you drew me back my friend i thought the town empty and was about to leave as you can see it's not he says though we get few visitors the legend keeps them away we're cursed you know so i've been told ice cross says i am dante the man says demetrius ice cross says i saw your town from the road and had to take a closer look there is no other like chicane shall i tell you her story dante says I'd be grateful, Ice Cross replies. A look of great concern crossed the man's face, and he looks to the eastern sky. Where are you bound, Dante says. I'd hope to be in Genoa tonight. Dante looks with regret and says, Genoa is quite far, and even if you make it tonight, no one will be there to help you or give you a hot meal. And Dante invites Ice Cross to stay in his home, that his wife, Caprice, will have supper ready soon, and he should come and have supper. Ice Crow says his stomach would never forgive me if he said no. Dante exclaims that his wife would be furious if you let him leave, if you let Ice Crow leave. So Ice Crow and Dante, this is sort of fun. It reminds me of, um, what's it like, the guy with the flute who gets the... Oh, Pied Piper Piper Piper. or something like that? Yeah, like the Pied Piper. Yeah. So, like, he just goes back into playing his flute, right? And 
and uh, Ice Crows follows Dante. And he That's tells right. like, I'll I tell didn't you the realize history. that. Oh, yeah. And he's just like, come on, buddy. And he starts playing his flute. And they continue to Dante's house as he plays his flute. And Escros, like, looks around the town. And then he sees, like, lanterns and, and lights. He sees, like, colorful blinds in the windows. And he sees lanterns and candles in some of the windows. And it sort of puts him a little bit at ease because he's like, all right, other people are in the town. There are other like, people here. It's just quiet, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, he said, I breathed easier. We weren't alone after all. A curious sight caught my attention. One of the buildings in the row on the left had a garish painting of a marionette on the door. But this was no grinning jester. Instead, the puppet was a figure of some martyred saint with a sword in his chest and spikes driven through his skull, splashed in blood-red paint with a halo above his head. What is the meaning of that, I asked. Dante lowered his flute and nodded. Yes, my apologies, I promised you. The tale of Chicane. I enjoy the music so much because it helps to wake this quiet place. You play very well, I said. Kind of you to say, Dante replied. And now I owe you a story. It begins with once upon a time, as all the great tragic stories do. So, yeah, I, I like this part. Chapter four, because Dante, you know, he tells Ice Cross the story of Chicane. And he tells him, you know, the town became famous because of puppet theaters. Yeah. And so they had all these different puppet theaters. And I love this idea of puppet theaters. It's come up so much in the Hellboy stuff. It's oh, so yeah. prevalent in everything. So yeah. I just think it's really interesting. What is it with puppets? It's always fun, though. It's always interesting. I'm not like, again, with the puppets. You know, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is fucking cool. I think um, Mike just so, loves it too, you know? And then, yeah, Levi, yeah. it's just one of those weird it. things. But uh, so all the puppet shows were like Christian themes, stories of the Bible, stories of suffering and sacrifice. Um, and so they had an annual puppet festival. And sometimes people put on different shows that had like, they weren't Christian based or they weren't like uh, religious. And so all the sinners were driven off. But he's like, well, here's the true legend of Chicane. He says, on the edge of town, there's a graveyard of criminals and suicides. And people that believed that the evil the sinners committed in their lives remained with their spirits after death. In the heart of the cemetery, they planted a tree, and it would draw all the evil from the dead buried there so the spirits would not haunt the town. Which makes sense why there was unmarked graves. Yeah. Right. So we saw the stump, and we saw the unmarked graves and all that kind of stuff. That was from that tree. The tree grew quickly and strong and thick. It's kind of like it sucks into power, and it grows faster. Right, right. It's like supernatural. They talk about the this giant puppet theater. Like, he thought it was like a giant church, right? But it was like actually a giant puppet theater that stretched from one part of the town to the other. Yeah. Right. So he's telling the story, and then they're also getting to the house. So Dante goes on, he says, one Sunday, a giant walked into Chicane. He went into the graveyard of seniors and cut down the tree. He carved it into a puppet twice again, as big as a man. This giant figure was beautifully carved as any marinette has ever been. So he made this like giant, intricate puppet twice the, the size tree. of a man out of that sinful tree or whatever. And we see like a nice depiction by Mignola of the tree stump with all the yes. gravestones around it. And so and you, you have the tree in the first page and the second page is the tree stump yeah that's pretty cool nice progression there so one day there's like church going on and the giant he set up this giant um, puppet theater in front of the church and so he started putting on a puppet show and he had this like really sweet alluring voice that the people could not resist but everything that he was saying was blasphemous and like fucked up stuff you know like against religion and all that so dante he breaks off telling the story and they're getting to the house now when they go inside, 
he calls to his wife. He's like, Caprice, we have a guest. And so she comes in. When Ice Cross sees her, she's got like red hue in her face. And he thinks it's from like her working or maybe from having makeup on. Although that's weird yeah. because she didn't know that they would have company. Dante introduces uh, Ice Cross to Caprice. And he puts down his pack in his bedroll there and all that kind of stuff. And then they go to the kitchen. He, they're going to have like a veal and eggplant dinner, which sounds really good. I was like, yeah, actually, it does awesome. sound pretty yeah. good. And some wine. I was like, that's awesome. And so it smells really great. Ice Cross says his stomach growls so loud that Dante joked that the wolves were at the door. So they washed their hands and they poured some wine. Ice Cross is like, you never finished your story. Tell me the rest about Chicane. So he's like, okay, here's the rest. The giant made the puppet, the big puppet in the theater. And it's saying all the blasphemy and all the people are coming. And outside, yep. all the all the church people start going out there too, right? And they start getting involved with it too. And the priest is like telling them that uh, this is horrible. He called down the Lord's wrath. The day had been perfect, the sky without a cloud, but now the heavens darken and a terrible storm gathered above the town. Back in the house, like the wife is bringing out all the food and she's bringing out the eggplant. And like in the middle of the thing, they're like, well, aren't you going to eat? Uh, Caprice asks, and Dante's like, yeah, go on, Ice Cross, you know, go ahead and eat. And so he picks up his fork, and his stomach is growling, and the smell is so good, it's making his mouth water. He starts to cut the veal. The priest was saying that God was going to bring wrath down upon the giant, and so Ice Cross is like, did that happen? That's did about God, it, yeah. Yeah, did, did God bring his wrath down on the giant? And he's like, he did, and the storm was terrible. Lightning struck the theater, and it burned all the everything but the stone foundation. But that was only the beginning of the Lord's punishment. And then they're like, again, aren't you going to eat? You must be hungry, all this stuff, right? It's the oddest thing, Ice Cross says. I don't feel very hungry. Right, yeah, it's the oddest thing. Yeah. I, I don't feel very hungry. And meanwhile, uh, thunder is crashing the house, right? There's this loud sound outside. But Ice Cross realizes there had been no lightning. So he drops the fork and knife and he like slides back his chair. He's thinking about that sound, the thundering, and there's no lightning. He, he starts to know what it was. Footsteps. Good Lord, I whispered, Ice Cross yeah. says. He's telling the story, right? So Caprice and Dante, they start freaking out and they cover their ears and they're like, he's coming. Ice Cross is like, who? Who's coming? And she's like, the giant. He haunts us. Haunts all of Chicane. With the next thunderous step, a crack splittered a, a pattern across the floor. I could not breathe. My heart clutched into a fist in my chest and I felt dread and terror unlike any I had known or imagined. So like, shit starts fucking going crazy, right? right? And like, um, Ice Cross, like, I thought this was interesting because he's such like a tough, grizzled, scarred up dude. But like he's super scared in this moment. He talks about like being like really afraid. He tries to pull away and he finds himself like tangled in webs of string. And so as he starts like pulling, he, he can't like figure out how he's tangled in strings and all this kind of stuff. But that's when he realizes that. The house that he's in is one of these giant puppet theaters, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. fucking Dante and Caprice, they're puppets. And so her rosy cheeks were just like the paint from the yeah, puppet yeah. face or whatever. And so yep. like, so it, I thought this was so weird, like thinking of trying to conceptualize this because I mean, it's a giant puppet show. And so you would think like when they're talking to him, like they're, hanging with like string and jerking all goofy and clacking <laughs> with the wood and all that kind of stuff like wouldn't you realize you're talking to giant human-like puppets but it's but i feel like there's like a magic to it too oh, you yeah, know what definitely. i mean but it's yeah, like totally. so maybe he sees it as real people and then it's not till this moment that like the glamour fades and he sees them as actual puppets 
But then I also like to think of when he's talking to them and he doesn't realize they're puppets yet. And if we could see what it really is, like we see him and he's just talking to like these inanimate (laughs) dead eye toys that are just hanging there. You know what I mean? And it also makes me think of, I said, I wanted to come back around to it. It makes me think of the, the the tinker, the carriage driver. Was he a puppet too? Was or was he the puppet, puppet master? Was he like oh, a devil or something like right, that? Or something. Yeah, no, I yeah. want to know what he was. It totally made right. me think of that, which is why I so, put it in there because I was like, he's got to be yeah. something. Right. I was like, I wonder if that was a puppet too. But anyway, like this just kind of like blew my mind, this whole idea that he's in a giant puppet theater with talking to giant puppets that he thinks are people. Right. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Like, well, I mean, here, I just. Here's some random parallels. I, I, I Right now is probably in our right time to bring it up, but. Ice Cross talks about his story that he heard from Baltimore and we hear Ice Cross's tale of it, right? And he talks about the the wife being twisted like a puppet, like Eloin was oh, twisted. Right. Like a and then when she climbs out of the tomb, she climbs out of the tomb like a uh, marionette puppet. And right. like we're hearing it as the monk's words, but we're hearing it as the monk's words from Ice Cross's version of the story. Yes. yes. You know what I mean? So he's framing it in his weird view because he's already had this shit with the puppets. Maybe. I don't um, know. And then like know. the dude that um, whatever that guy's name that the other dude sort of bashed, you know, who was dead. Albert Necho. Yeah, he was all <laughs> twisted. He was all Albert. twisted and messed up on the road. He had bonitis. And then so did Elwin had bonitis. It's oh, like, right. Oh, it, yeah. it all kind of aligns with like, that. Yeah, exactly how you would think if you took a marionette puppet and you just dropped it on the ground, it'd be all like sort of twisted. Yeah. My only regret is that i have bonitis so like is the red death like a puppet master or something and is that kind of like i don't know wow that's so interesting like is there some weird puppet thing going on or i don't know wow that's really interesting (laughs) christopher golden and manuela just having some fun with us i i i I like that i i think it's like one of those, uh, you know, like uh, that cliche where at, at the end of the movie or at the end of the TV show, it was all a dream. Right. Like, what if it was all a puppet show? It was oh, all shit. a puppet show. You didn't know it. <laughs> we were just all on strings and nobody nobody knew. Nobody knew that there was a puppet master. Oh, but then God. you guys just did the Hellboy episode where like Hellboy's kind of a he puppet. He swaps places and... with a puppet. He swaps places with a puppet. Yeah, yeah like, you're man. absolutely right. Definitely what is it with these puppets, man? <laughs> um, it's freaking me out. So he he's tangled in their puppet strings. And so as he's pulling, they're jerking too because they're kind of like attached to him. All that is like wild to me. Yeah. Like I, I just am I'm seeing it in my head like a movie or something in live action and it's just like so odd but also really cool idea something that i haven't seen before you oh, know? it would totally give me a nightmare if i saw this as a little kid i would have nightmares <laughs> of this. so the giant is also coming after him right he's trying to run away from the giant he's also trying to escape dante and caprice puppet forms like they're like scratching at him caprice's sharp fingers dig into his side and his shirt was no protection so he gets all scratched up and bloodied right there yeah, he's at he's out of the house at this point. Wait, hold on. Right, yeah, I yeah. think so. And the giant's like chasing him. At one point, it like picks him up, and it like squeezes him and cracks one of his ribs and all this kind of stuff. I like this part. So like his arms were free. He's being held up by the giant. So he just starts like tearing at the giant's face, 
and he's like pulling off like paper mache skin or whatever all this kind of stuff yeah that's so pretty cool. messed up and and we see like a incredible depiction of that as well of the yeah, this giant yeah, this skull face like skeletal it almost looks like a skeleton or something like that i mean yeah it's pretty horrific like maybe everybody's a puppet maybe there's a bunch of puppet masters because like also the monk had skin like papyrus paper like, I don't know. There's way too many. Oh, parallels. right. There's a lot of parallels? this like imagery. Yeah. Those parallels. I don't know. Wes, I'm trying to think you're a puppet too. I am a puppet <laughs> inside of your cabinet that needs tea. That's why we keep putting you back in the cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I love Mignola's style for this giant puppet thing because like, you know, it would be a lot more gruesome and gross. Yeah. You know what I mean? Having its face torn off, you know, Mignola, yeah, we kind of get like a little bit more of a subdued version of that. It almost looks like the Red Death illustration too. It does. It does kind of look like that. That, yeah. that even aligns with it even more. Like what if the Red Death is like a giant puppet or a giant puppet? master anyway yeah or he's a puppet master. oh so when he pulls the face off the giant the giant roars and releases him bringing both massive hands to its head it had shattered a dozen chairs beneath it so that's another thing is like the house is like a puppet stage yeah so i think like he even says like one at one point lightning strikes and he sees something out of the corner of his eye but he doesn't really look at it there was a crash of glass and wood behind him and so he knew uh, the giant was free he glanced over and saw it lurching forward again so he's like running away, and as he's running, he passes by all the opening windows, and remember how he saw those lights from the inside? Mm -hmm. Well, they're giant candle flames the size of men. And oh, so yeah. he Crazy. sees those, and so he's like, maybe they're the ghosts of all those murdered, or maybe they're spirits of the damned, or the spirits of people that have been drawn there over the years like him. So all those comforting lights that he saw were really just like other people that have been trapped there. That's like Baba Yaga shit. Yeah. I was going to say, like, in Lord of the Rings, the dead marshes where the uh, spirits uh, like oh, the candles. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, that's a great parallel. As he's like running up the street, he sees a stone platform in the square. It's no longer bare. Upon it is a translucent apparition, the ghost of the giant puppet house, ablaze with spectral fire. So he runs into the church, and he hears the giant coming up uh, behind him, and it starts pounding on the doors, but it can't go inside the church. So after a while, he's like, hey, I'm safe in here, right? Right. But he's still all fucked up, you know, with his ribs crushed and everything and all bleeding. So he stays there in the church. And he's like sheltering in there through the night. And he and, and there's like a so he hears the giant screaming outside, but inside the church he hears another sound. He had thought it was like dripping noise of the rain, but he realized it was coming from the darkness a corner of the church. So he turns and he looks, lightning flash, and in the corner I saw the bones of a twenty foot giant, contorted and bent, its skeletal legs drawn up beneath it. Gore was crusted to those bare bones, and blood ran and dripped all over its frame. That's like yeah, the, yeah, the, the the dead giant that made all of this stuff, right? I guess. Yeah. When Icecross sees that, he just passes out, right? He's just like, fuck, this is too much for me, right? Uh, when morning comes, he finds himself in all this rubble. It's an old ruin, and it's been there so long that grass has started to grow on top of the rubble. So it's not anything that happened recently. He goes on to Genoa. He doesn't have his pack or his bedroll or any of that stuff, right? He just forgot about that stuff. He figures it's in the rubble. When he gets to uh, the ship where he's supposed to be, you know, they see that he's all fucked up and they're like, what happened to you? And so he tells them, he says, I told them the tale just as I've told it to you. He tells Childress and Dr. Rose. Mm -hmm. I removed my shirt and she cleaned my wounds and bandaged my side. A nightmare visited you last night, Demetrius, the captain's wife, told me, and her husband looked on. By all accounts, Chicagne was just as pretty as you describe it. And its puppet festival was renowned throughout Europe, but it has been gone for 200 years or more. A storm destroyed the town, they say. The entire hill collapsed. 
sliding down onto the plain below, crumbling towards the sea. All that stuff was gone. You know yeah. what I mean? The Chicane, the, the the house and the hill and everything, the puppet theater, all that shit is like long gone, been destroyed. But he was just there and it was just like it always was or whatever. Yeah. The captain and his wife stared at the bandages on my side and at the torn, bloodied shirt I had just removed. And they said nothing more. And neither did I. None of us ever mentioned it again, but I have never forgotten. And that's why I never doubted a word that Lord Baltimore or that desperate prophet of a monk told. Yep. I, I, I like this idea of that is like they're like, you know, when he tells them all that stuff, they're like, awkward. <laughs> what, what is this guy? Who is this guy? He says, what happened to him last night? Or they're like, you know what I mean? They're like, let's just not talk about this again. That weird shit that you told us, we're just going to ignore we're all that. never going to bring it up again. <laughs> Don't talk about it. Don't say anything about that. But that's what he did to the, you know, those other people. He did the exact same thing. Like, that's yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah. I guess he did do the same thing. So now he's, he's uh, how the turntables have turned or whatever. Yeah. There you go. Dr. Rose yeah. did the same thing, too. He started doubting the werebear stories, the cocaine bear stories. and then Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Until he had to climb that oak tree several times until he could finally get up in there. And then he saw it for himself. Yep. Yeah, that was really cool. I love these stories. And this this puppet one, I tell you, I had totally forgotten about this one. This I did not remember. This one ghost story. This one was my favorite one. I think this one's my favorite one, honestly. Yeah, I had totally forgotten about this one. I thought it was really cool. And I just like thinking about the, yeah. the logic of it or trying to picture it, like how they would do something like this cinematically. You couldn't just have a scene where Ice Cross is just talking to these wooden clacking no. puppets dangling there. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know. It's just, wow, what a cool idea. I, mean, I imagine it's, it's like, dark inside the house, so you can't really tell. It reminds me of, like, like I always bring up H.P. Lovecraft, but there's the, the story of the festival where this guy gets a letter to go to the fest, like this Christmas festival in this old town where his like heritage is from. And he meets his ancestors and they have like wax faces and they're not like, it sort of reminds me of that. It's like, I, oh, like, I don't okay. even know. Okay. Like, are they real people? Or are they old? Like they're old or whatever, but it's a super cool ghost story. And then like, clearly there's a giant that made all this stuff. Maybe, I don't know. Cause the storm demolished everything or maybe the storm was the giant or, you know, like, right, right. Crap, I don't know. But like clearly before Baltimore woke up this monster, there was ancient monsters and, Oh, yeah, it's there already. Like it already was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, another thing that this made me think of was this idea that in fairy tales, food is a lore. Yeah, or it's it, it's a problem. And and I think Ice Cross even says like he thought about that when they were asking him to eat. And he's like, wait a minute, this is a fairy tale thing. And if I do this, I'm going to be fucked. Right. He um, never he never had the food. He never, ever ate. He food. never ate it. And so it all it makes me think of Pan's Labyrinth. Right. Because that's mm -hmm. what happens in Pan's Labyrinth. Yep. Have you seen yep. that movie? Um, but I found this great article. I'll link in the show notes. It's by digestmag.com. It's by Laura Day. It's called The Lore of Fairy Tale Food. And she talks sure. about how in a lot of different fairy tales, there's this motif of Snow White is tempted by the witch's shiny apple. If mm -hmm. Goldilocks uh, with the porridge and all yeah. this kind of stuff, right? Alice in Wonderland with the cakes and all that um, stuff. And so yeah, she says like... Candy house. Exactly. And so she says a lot of this, uh, it's a cautionary tale for kids. Because it's like, look how easy you could be enticed. You know, all someone has to offer you is like some candy and you'll come along. So you need to be careful about doing shit like that. Yeah. But uh, Laura Day writes in her article, but this general consensus that food equals evil is not as simple as you might first think. As Rose Williamson, a PhD researcher at Sussex Center for Folktale, Fairy Tales and Fantasy explains, this theme might stem in part from folklore about the world of the Fae, 
where eating any fairy food traps the eater there forever, she says. Judeo-Christian beliefs also echo the warning of not taking even one bite with the eating of the forbidden fruit by Adam and Eve, punished by being cast out of paradise. And Greek mythology has the tale of Persephone, kidnapped by Hades, but forced to remain in the underworld for six months of the year after she eats just six pomegranate seeds. Rose adds that the hero's first mistake is usually the transgression of eating what does not belong to him. So that's like another part of it, too, is like, you, this doesn't belong to you. You, sh you shouldn't be eating that. So... I don't know. I just thought that was interesting, and I wanted to look into that a little bit more. I'll, re I'll link the article in the show notes if you want to check that out. I just thought it was really interesting. Like, how many fairy tales is this a motif in? You know, how many different folk tales? Right. And what different versions are there of this? Because he says, like, I'll either die or be trapped here forever and all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, there are different versions of that. So, anyway, it made me think. Of, I went a little bit down a rabbit hole. Um, looking yeah, at but that that's topic. the that's was the fun thing that Mignola seems to set up a lot, or Christopher Golden is doing in this book too. Like they give us these little like things or like carrots from other places, but don't like go to like we don't like know what would happen if he ate. We have no idea what would happen if he ate the food because he didn't eat the food. But we know from other stories that well, you don't eat the food, man. Because yes, yeah, yeah. shit would have. He would have become one of those life size flames that's in the yeah, house. Would have flame, Ooh, probably. Yeah, or turned into a twisted corpse or something, you know? Or maybe he would have been a puppet. Yeah, yeah or a ice cross puppet. Too, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. Well, um, that was a great story. I really loved that. Thank you so much, Wes, for uh, handling the bulk of that episode. Uh, that was a great discussion. Awesome. I'm excited to hear what our listeners thought. Let us know what other fairy tales have. Uh, don't eat the food or um you're a giant puppet or whatever i want to know more of that <laughs> and uh now aubrey's gonna say all the things do it aubrey all right everybody that was baltimore the sailor's tale i want to hear what you thought send us a hey you damn guys at book club member comics at gmail.com follow us on facebook and instagram at book club member comics and on twitter at book club members if it hasn't fallen apart yet <laughs> you can also find all of our uh resources on our podbean website our facebook about section and our link trees on instagram and twitter as always, a special thank you to Paul from Gatahan for the listener feedback theme. Thanks, Paul. Uh, thank you, Only Beast, for uh, our main theme, and Ross and Matt for our logos and banners. Thank you, guys, and you're welcome. You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, and when you're there, open it up and give us that five-star review. Every little bit helps, and if you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend. Have everybody join the book club. Do it! We're not going to gatekeeping around here. We want you <laughs> in the book club. For sure. Next week, we're going back to Silver Surfer. We're reading Silver Surfer from 2016, issues one through three by Dan Slott and Mike and Laura Allred. Yes. So you guys know what to do. Pull out those back issues, trades, those omnis, those digitals, and join us next week on Book Club Member Comics. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas, and you are all my bros. I love all of you. You're all you're. I love all you guys. You're you're my bros, and I love. <laughs> and I'm Wes Matthias, and I'm a marionette puppet, bro. And I'm Aubrey Lovell saying, the, the Jack in the Box is laughing again. <laughs> oh no. <laughs>